Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Childs, we're going out to give Blair the test. If he tries to make it back here and we're not with him, burn him. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Outpost 31, Alien Minutes Autopsy of John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And welcome back as we look at the third act of this movie. I make it two spectacular sequences with lots of goodness built into all of them. I agree. Cody Wyoming is back with us for this final episode. Hello there. We all ready? Good. But he got yep. their parkas on. It's gonna get <laughs> gonna get cold. It's gonna get really damn cold. It's gonna cold. get real hot and then it's gonna get cold. So we'll just jump in to to the beginning of the third act, which uh starts with uh the camera asserting itself as it moves up the hallway to reveal Childs at the window looking out. And I mentioned this shot just because there's gonna be an echo of it coming up a little bit later. Uh so we're trying to find ourselves uh plan B. Mac's going to have to figure out the next step and how they're going to f- destroy this thing. And it takes them up to Blair's shack, right? Yep. So it's Nalls, Gary, and Mac going up to the shed to find Blair. But boy, were they wrong because they get up there and they find not only is he missing, but they find that he's got a special passage leading down into the ground. So the thing can burrow through the snow and ice, right? The thing, can, the, the thing can just do all sorts of amazing stuff. Beans are packed with protein, lots of energy in <laughs> for all of this kind of work that he has gotten done in this short amount of time. He's a really fast worker. The tunnel red. I remember thinking that when I saw this movie. It's like, holy smokes, man. I wonder What's if he divided up into multiple Wilfreds and worked on it. <laughs> oh, he he man. built a machine shop. I know. <laughs> it's really amazing. Well, yeah, where did he get all the gear? I mean, he's got like a craftsman full tool kit. <laughs> like tool cabinet over there. Yeah, it's, it's th- the fact that he's building a spaceship is it's it's pretty outrageous. And this is sort of like for me a little bit like Get Out when you finally get to the point where you realize that they're switching brains. You're sort of like, all right, let's go. Here, here we here we go. Yep, I, here we go. You've given me enough up to this point that I've I've I have given you lots of goodwill. So I'm going to go ahead and accept the fact that this guy has actually been working on a spaceship the entire time that he's been in there. What is it? Something he's been making. It's a ship of some kind. He stole the parts from the helicopter. Smart SOB. Put it together piece by piece. Where was he trying to go? Any place but here. Well, let me ask you this. He, he sabotaged the helicopter but is building a spaceship. Now, the whole idea, I guess, is this is his secret vehicle that no one else can use. But if he he's building a spaceship so he can get, I mean, he he's wanting to get to the rest of Earth, right? The thing That's the thing's mission is to get to more people, right? Yeah. He's not leaving Earth. 
Well, uh, suppose that he's just building a vehicle that he f- is familiar with yep. and knows how to fly, doesn't know how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> just, you know? That's what it is. <laughs> he, he's, he's, I've got 400 hours in UFOs, but <laughs> not ready to fly a helicopter yet. I think he could probably fly a helicopter. Mm-hmm. You told me Thing can't fly a helicopter. I don't know. <laughs> that rotor and torque thing is very, earth, in five very earthbound. <laughs> I can fly an airplane, and I used to fly airplanes, and the notion of flying a hel- helicopter terrifies now, me. My, my uncle's a pilot, too, and he said he wouldn't go near a helicopter. No way. Ever. Just the, just the physics of it alone didn't make sense to him. It, <laughs> flying a helicopter is like being a drummer. You have to do you know different things mm-hmm. with all of your different limbs, and you have to have your brain connected to each of those. It's, it's a very strange concept. Yeah. Well, when it's revealed that this uh, thing wants to go anywhere but here... That sort of caps this that little scene, and then we move into um, one of the montages of the movie. Really, I mean, we've got again that independent camera moving through the space. It goes back to where Childs was watching, and Childs is no longer in that in the room. You know, we probably should take this minute to just to talk about the score just a little bit, yeah, because please. it's it's such a funny thing. Like the score is magnificent but it has its own sort of complicated history. And it's a score that's that's invisible for a lot of the movie, mm-hmm. I think. You know, it's there, but it's not... It certainly isn't as pronounced as, say, John Carpenter's score for Halloween or even The Fog. What, no, it's not. And I think uh, a lot of the interesting stuff, to me, just from my own kind of uh, interpretation of, of what's going on, is that, is that, first off, Carpenter had to get a composer. He wasn't allowed to compose because of union rules because this is a studio picture right. as i understand it and he was allowed to go with morricone but morricone didn't have uh time to write a full score for it so I, i've always kind of felt that it was morricone kind of doing carpenter like because it, it's totally different than any other morricone score that there is it really doesn't at least up to this point interestingly right. enough morricone started doing things that were a lot more like the things score after, after the this. thing yeah, yeah. um but it it's and and there are moments and I know that there are moments of some sort of you know filler here and there that John Carpenter did actually um, write and play um, some of the some of the synth stuff but I I'm not sure I'm not that great at picking them out but it blends seamlessly and and everything works and I think the score is fantastic it's very minimalist um, it's very lonely it's very um, you know lots of minor chords but very sort of with a like a, a heartbeat type of a heartbeat yeah. type of a synth bass with um sort of not quite string pads in the background but very descending just a very mournful um and sort of lonesome type of sound that um really adds to the atmosphere of of the picture as a whole
I remember when I saw the soundtrack album and bought it thinking that I didn't really remember any music from the film except for the last cue, you know, the one that's the most propulsive, the one that's most like a heartbeat. So I remember listening to the record thinking, was this in the movie? Was, was this piece in the movie? Was that one? And some of it isn't, right? Some of the stuff that's on the album is not in the movie, right? He wrote longer pieces, and so there are snips of the longer pieces that are in the movie, but not the entire piece is included. Right. And then you'll notice that there are things that are in the movie that aren't on the album as well. And I think those are the Carpenter things. That's how you can identify what is the Carpenter stuff, is because if it's in the movie but not on the album, that's what Carpenter did. Right, okay. The segment with that music taking us into the, that camera move is pretty close to the the one real montage in the movie, which has to do with Mac and the crew, you know, getting the dynamite ready and uh, watching the empty space, trying to figure out where Nalls is, and then Nalls seeing Childs leaving with the flamethrower and calling for the guys to come join him, uh, and eventually Mac lights the flare and points out to everybody that um, this thing wants to freeze. It got back inside and blew the generator. Six hours, it'll be a hundred below in here. Well, that's suicide. Not for that thing. It wants to freeze now. It's got no way out of here. It just wants to go to sleep in the cold until the rescue team finds it. What can we do? What can we do? Whether we make it or not, we can't let the thing freeze again. Maybe we'll just warm things up a little around here. We're not getting out of here alive. And so plan B is going to be, let's just burn this whole place up and let's heat it up so that the thing can't freeze anymore. That becomes a sort of plot engine for the rest of the movie set the place on fire and see if we can find find the thing and, and destroy it if possible. And it's pretty clear right here that nobody's going to make it out alive. I think you know? so. I mean, if the film prepares us for the ending, whether we like it or not, it's headed down a pretty lonely road. And so at least the ending doesn't come out of nowhere. You know, yeah. the, we, we sit with this idea for the entire third act of the film. Uh, I suppose that I suppose that as an audience member, we could hope for some sort of deus ex machina, but it's, you know, it's not coming. But that was that's the only possible way out of it is another outpost helicopters in and saves them. That's the only possible um, thing that could save them. You can make friends with the thing. <laughs> but we've seen the thing from another world and we know how well that works mm -hmm. when the scientists try to make friends <laughs> with the thing. You're greater than us, wiser than us. <laughs> That's it for the scientists. <laughs> this thiacol, caterpillar, snowcat, whatever you call it, Nalls drives it through the side of a building. So I guess that one still worked because I was under the impression that all of the vehicles had been destroyed. Oh, I think just the. I mean, but I guess it's I just, think it was just the helicopter. Just a helicopter. Yeah. But I guess they couldn't drive that thing very far. So Can't snowcat that thing all the way to the overlook. <laughs> <laughs> call, call Bill Haller and bring his snowcat in. You can save everybody. And they were treated to a series of spectacular explosions. I don't know how, what else you can say about that. It's just there's a lot of shots of guys running down halls. Molotov cocktails flying. Yeah, <laughs> we've built this beautiful set. Now we can tear it down. Now it's time to destroy it. Yeah. So, what fun? Question: Are these all McCready's discarded J and B bottles? 
Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and you know that could play in at the end when people do their you know many many theories about who's who at the end of the movie. That could play in the end, but I'll save it for the okay. for that point. All right, that sounds good. So eventually they reach what they what is indicated to be the generator room, and we're not sure whether they're going to blow it up or explore it. But as they move down the stairs and into this other space, uh, we come to find out that. Once again, there's a, a whole series of ice catacombs that are underneath the outpost. And this part of the movie is really interesting to me because there's a lot of these long, in, uninterrupted takes where the guys move into the space and there's lots of shadows. Mm-hmm. And you kind of expect this f- to be where John Carpenter would play some of his cheap boo scares and have something yeah. run across the foreground with a musical sting. Um, but he doesn't ever do it. It doesn't mean it's not suspenseful and we're not waiting for it, but it doesn't really well, happen. The waiting for it is the, that's the real part, right? Yeah. Like you think this is going to be, yeah, the, going into an icy, dark, shadowy catacombs, that's where the monster movie is going to happen, right? The traditional monster movie. All you got to do is expect that, that it has a, has a strong effect on the viewer. You don't have to actually pay it off in cheap ways, which is probably how it would feel after watching this movie up to this point, I think having boo scares jump scares would be cheap i don't think we need that when they find out that the generator's been destroyed and and mac asks the question whether there's any way that it can be repaired gary turns around and he says it's gone mccready and i just want to share a personal anecdote about that i was uh with my friend at the time in college um mark bakshi and his dad ralph bakshi was finishing the the film fire and ice and it was being, the sound mixers were Bill Varney, Steve Maslow, and Greg Landecker. And so we went to watch them mix, because I, I had never seen that before. So we went to the big mixing stage and watched these guys mix uh, a reel of, of Fire and Ice. And every so often, one of them would look at the other one and go, it's gone, McCready. And I had no idea what they were talking about, <laughs> but they had worked on the thing, and they had worked a long time on the thing, and I guess... That line, they must have worked on that line a whole bunch of times, so I always think of that when I see that moment. I remember, there. I think it's a Starlog article uh, interview with John Carpenter where apparently they did cut a lot of those things. They shot a few things, not necessarily for the scene, but different things throughout the film where things would fall out of something or whatever, and they cut them all. Like the, the, He said that they just didn't work, they were cheap and didn't work. I was just, just recalling that, from, I think it's from that... Um, uh, Cinephilia and Beyond has that collection of all the articles f- of the thing over the years, and um, it's on there. But that, just wanted to point that out that I think that he made a conscious decision not, he felt like it was a little cheap for this movie to have things, just general jump scares for him. Yeah, news. well, there's a lot going on. Doesn't seem to yeah. need it. We no. should probably be sure to post a link to that Cinephilia and Beyond yeah, we will section for sure. because there is a lot of material that's that it's covered in there. It's pretty extensive. Uh, yeah, other than, I, I would say, other than the extras on the shout factory blu-ray it's probably the best place to find uh, background information for the thing is, is the cine fantastic article Cinefant- in there too you know what i don't think the cine fantastic is but uh, there might be a link I'll, I'll find if i can find a link to the pdfs of that or something i'll put that up as okay well. that sounds good uh so realizing that there's nothing they can do about the generator what i think is the last sequence of the movie really starts with this shot of the dynamite plunger being dropped into the frame because now that's a, a new idea we haven't talked about dynamite plungers up to this point, but now we are. So this is going to be the last ditch plan, which is 
these guys are all going to split up. They're all going to plant charges, uh, and Mac's going to blow the whole thing up. And so, as 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 should always happen in any good horror film, let's all just split up. That that always works out really well for everybody. Well, I do got to tell you that I I just generally like scenes where everybody plants charges. <laughs> I just like, I just all the way to Force Awakens has you know it's yeah, the, any movie true. where everybody plants some charge. We're gonna have a the biggest explosion you're ever gonna see. So there is a moment that has been cut out of the movie. Nalls goes off by himself and uh, goes by a bunch of boxes and the thing grabs him and kills him. And they shot it and everybody agreed that it just didn't work. It just wasn't yeah. scary enough and effective enough. And so one of the interesting things about this sequence is that Nalls just kind of walks off into the darkness and we never see him again. Mac says... Nalls, where are you? Are you ready? And there's no response. Um, but before that happens, Gary goes off on his own and is reunited with Blair. It's one of my favorite special effects is the fingers into the face. It's so weird. It's just so strange. And <laughs> I don't know the logistically how that would physically work to well, put your fingers into in your into his face like a glove. It's <laughs> yeah, it was it's, supposed to go up through his throat or something and come up through the inside of his head apparently, and um, they couldn't get it to work, and so they came up with this hand gag. And the hand that actually is on the face is that's Rob Bottin's hand and oh. arm. So that was shot. See, and not not that everything harkens back to Alien, but it do, it makes me think a little bit about the magazine. Yeah. It's like such a bizarre way to kill somebody. Just yeah. shove something in their mouth and they're and they're gonna die. This is a little bit. I mean, I love the magazine. It's so in alien. It's so bizarre and inexplicable. But this is just so. This is so imaginative. Well, and I assume that 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 he's that the fingers are into the face, holding just holding the face down, and there's some sort of tentacle coming out of okay. the palm of his hand, shooting in into his body. That's actually like killing one of those him. green tentacle things yeah. that shoots out of. He's, yeah, sure. He's got some sort that of works. some sort of. Uh, proboscis or yeah. something that's coming out of there and <laughs> and i'm not sure whether that is actually donald moffat whether that actually is gary or whether that's a double well it, it looks like him but i don't know say. i've i mean i've freeze framed on it and i've tried to figure out whether in fact it's him or not so if it was they called him in for that day uh because it definitely was robotine's uh, hand and brimley's so good in it and just being stone-faced while it's happening and then looking over his shoulder to see if anybody's coming <laughs> he's he's really good and strange looking He's in this movie a lot. You get this one shot of him dragging, of the body being dragged away, the hand still buried in the in the face. Um, that that, and then it's after that that Nalls walks off on his own, and we really don't see what happens to him. There is a shot with Nalls in the foreground, his back to camera, and this empty space. And interestingly enough, that shot is replicated uh, with McCready looking into that space again. Mm -hmm. and there's no Nalls there. So Nalls is the one guy who we really have no idea what happens to him, but it probably wasn't good. I will say, though, that this cut of him, you know, getting attacked by the thing and possibly becoming a thing himself did rob us of the roller skating Nalls thing that might have been pretty <laughs> terrifying and interesting <laughs> to see. Yeah, so you've got one shot from of McCready seeming, you know, looking off camera, kind of reacting and and knowing that Nalls isn't there, and then we've moved on and it's we're back to pull up the plunger, Chekhov's plunger <laughs> so check out the scene the way that she's seen is check uh set up here with the plunger you got the plunger and two molotov cocktails and a lantern and then you cut do a reverse cut to that you see them um, in the background here 
And this becomes, momentarily, after you see that, the spectacular miniature stop-motion um, sequence, which there's a there's a there's some background on it on the Blu-ray, and it's really interesting. I, I'm obsessed with miniatures. I love when people build little replicas of things and, and so on, and these are so good. This is done so well. Randy Cook did uh, either four or five yeah. miniature stop-motion sequences, and one of them didn't make it in, but the other the others did. So right. it's either three made it in, and he did four, or f- one didn't. Right. And d- I haven't seen the Shot Factory disc. Are, is the extra one on there? Yeah, they, they, they just show it for a minute, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, cool. You know, right. While they're on interviewing The you. regular DVD, there's a, you know, there's a little um, clip a brief interview with um, the lady whose name escapes me again, who made the spaceship, who also made the miniatures, and is. and her her attention to detail on all of the miniatures of the of the discoloration and water damage on the barrels that are you know yeah. it's like her just obsessive attention to detail just really sells it. I feel bad. I want to say her first name Susan, but I can't remember. Susan Turner. Sorry, Susan. We should have remembered your name in the first place. Well, she she does spectacular work. She does. The other thing that's really impressive is how once the stop motion creature emerges, and we get the first look at it, and we get we get a reaction shot from McCready, uh, but then he winds up. Uh, well, first you see a physical effect that Roy Arbogast, who was the head of physical effects, did with the floor blasting up. Right, that moves Mac off to one side, and the dynamite goes flying and then when you see the first stop motion shot of the creature coming up mac turns and looks at it and then there's a really nice composite of him in foreground the back to camera him in frame left and the animated stuff in frame right and it's really flawless i mean yeah. you know it looks like they're actually in the same place and it, that it's real yeah it's really and good. sometimes those shots are not necessarily the easiest to pull off you know when you have those two elements combined like that but it's really effective and then you go to the full size blair monster which is just crazy, and apparently they shot that again at the la- at the studio in the valley, and Carpenter directed it, and they had a whole bunch of cameras operating from all sorts of different angles, and they just they just shot the shit out of it. You know, they just yeah. did every angle they possibly can, and they he said that the cameramen were free to do moves if they wanted to do moves, and they just. Filmed and filmed and filmed so that they would have enough that they could cut together and they could pick those choice shots. I love the I love the full size Blair monster as well because not not only does it look great and gross and gnarly, but also um, little dog heads come poking out of it, and it it kind of tells you a little bit more about the thing that we didn't know is that it still holds all of the people that it's taken over. It's still got little pieces of it in inside of it wherever you know wherever it goes. And apparently they had a lot of extra stuff. There were lots of things manifested themselves mm-hmm. on on the the creature, and not all of it made it into the movie. But again, that's kind of great. Yeah, to know there was more monster than we were even able to see is <laughs> I don't know. Feels that feels right. It's not like CG where you know you make it in the computer and you have it, and it's there's not like there's going to be more CG monster that we're not going to see because they couldn't get the camera quite right or right. there were too many. You know, everything is so precise with CG that 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 the element of the that element of discovery uh, is sort of lost. Incredible lens flare, by the way, with the first explosion of the of the base. It is really amazing. It's just one of those beautiful Panavision lens flares that just kind of comes horizontally across the the frame. J.J. Abrams might be able to fake it in a computer, but you're not going to 
you're not going to get that real that's great that real flare it's a beautiful explosion especially since it's almost in pitch black darkness and i can only assume that on the shot factory disc these look phenomenal so we see mccready emerge from the darkness a silhouette with breath coming out of his mouth by the way because they are i assume outside in the cold for this stuff Mm -hmm. they probably blew up the real location at this point i think they did right John, what was it you were going to say about the whiskey bottle? So we get Childs shows up and we have McCready holding a bottle of whiskey, right? Well, where do you get this bottle? Hey, where do you get this bottle of whiskey? And we don't really have to ask that. But when it comes to everyone trying to play detective in this movie and figure out who's who, one theory is that McCready figures out that Childs is the thing here because he actually gives him a Molotov cocktail and he drinks it. It doesn't bother him at all. <laughs> and that's why McCready smiles because he knows that Childs is the thing. I'm not saying I buy into this. I'm just saying I, that's a theory that I saw. But you do see McCready looks like he's about to take a drink. But again, that could be, he could have known Childs was there and maybe was selling the idea. I have no idea. That's I have not heard my that theory, thing. but the the math checks out because he did have a bunch of bottles filled with, you know, yeah. that were Molotov cocktails. But then again, scotch is flammable, you know, so his Molotov cocktails could be bottles of scotch. Hmm, I'm not sure. Yeah, scotch would, would be flammable. I'm not, yeah, I guess it would work. I'm trying to think of what the ABV on scotch is and whether it would really flame up that much. But Can yeah. we go try it? Yeah, we can try let's it. Let's do try an it. experiment. Well, f- let's drink some scotch and then set one on fire and see what happens. That'd be cool. You the only one who made it? Not the only one. Did you kill it? Where were you, Charles? Thought I saw Blair. Went out after him. Got lost in the storm. <laughs> Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me... If we've got any surprises for each other... I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well... What do we do? Why don't we just... Wait here for a little while. See what happens. Obviously, this part of the movie, they they were they were uncertain, right? <laughs> they were not sure how to end this movie a hundred percent. Certainly, somebody somebody somewhere wanted a different ending than this. Have you read that they shot a different ending? Did they do I, other I don't things? Re- I don't recall if they shot one, but they certainly I, considered some. I certainly cannot think of a better ending. No. Um, it's it just, again, going back to the the ex- the exhaustion, the alienation, the paranoia, all of those things are, are set up there. But just the, the bleakness of it all 
is <laughs> just appealing to me for some reason. This seems completely in line with the ending of Escape from New York, mm-hmm. where he destroys the world basically by tearing up a cassette tape, right? Yeah. So it it does seem to fit with John Carpenter's, you know, endings. And Halloween, well, like, Michael's not there. He's loose in the fog. The shit's going to come back. Antonio Bay is far from free of the curse, right? Yeah. So it does seem like that is the well, perfect John Carpenter ending. Doesn't he say that this is the second of his Apocalypse trilogy or whatever that he has? That's Escape from New York, this, and The Prince of Darkness. Oh, I believe right. he says that on the commentary. Um, well, there you go. The idea being, you know, the, yeah. This, this Mouth of Madness is the end of the Apocalypse trilogy. Is so it's this. Oh, maybe is that what it's he said? this he said Prince, Prince of Darkness and Mouth of Madness. Oh, maybe that's Escape it. from New York is just a. It's part it's of a different Apocalypse. franchise <laughs> that we don't like to think about. I think maybe I'm, uh, I might have that wrong, but I, I think. So. But um, no, uh, about the ending. Uh, the best case scenario that could possibly play out is that neither of them are the thing. The thing has been destroyed, and they're just going to freeze to death. Yeah. That's the happiest ending that we could possibly get out of this, is that they did get it, it's burnt up, both of them are human, and they're going to freeze to death. <laughs> that is the cheeriest possible outlook. But that said, like if somebody comes and finds this whole mess, and the th- pieces of the thing are frozen, it's going to get thought out probably so it's not there's no happy ending to this to this story i don't think i think it's the end of the world i mean i think there's the ending where one of them somehow survives and gets rescued but that's the thing that whoever that is is the thing and there's some note right at the end of the movie that indicates that to you and then flies off rescued in a helicopter only to destroy all mankind i've written sequels in my head about it getting back to the mainland by exactly exactly those those uh methods and and for some reason the the sequel that i always wanted to see to this although i never really wanted to see because i know they'd screw it up is the same sequel that i actually wanted to see to alien was the alien making it back to earth and but not like it did and they did screw that up with alien versus predator and all that kind of stuff but you know that's that's what that's what i've made up in my own head for my own satisfaction well, I think this brings us to the end of this celebration of John Carpenter's The Thing. I think you're right. And it brings us to, you know, great end after we have that that bleak nihilistic conversation between Childs and McCready and then they sit back there to just wait and see what happens and fade to black and then John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, I, as a title card, I, I think it's a great way to end it as opposed to the end or into any other kind of credits. I, I like that title card a lot. He owns it. He's taking responsibility for that for sure. ending. Yeah. Cody, thanks so much for joining us for all four shows. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast to to get to sit with some friends and talk about my favorite movie of all time. I don't know what we're going to do next, John, but uh, I guess we're going to continue on our exploration of other alien movies. Well, why don't we, could we just decide right now what we're going to do next? Why not? Oh my god, that's a lot of pressure. I don't think so. Really? You yeah, know we're going to do something next. We might as well just say what it is and go for it. All right, what are we going to do next, John? How about we do Joe Cornish's Attack the Block next? Okay. That sounds right. good to me. Keeping with the alien theme, the alien invasion theme, whatever you want to call it. We'll do uh, we'll do that fine film that many of you may not have seen. We find that a lot of people haven't seen it, so go out and find Attack the Block and it's, watch it. It's amazing. It's, it's a really under underappreciated movie, an underseen movie. It's it's really outstanding. 
Yeah, that'll be good. So that's what we'll do next. All right. Okay. Tune in uh, next time when we bring you Attack the Block, uh, one act at a time or however we're putting it. But uh, yeah, and and, you know, in the meantime, come check us out at Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. We're on Instagram as well, Alien Minute Podcast at Instagram, I believe. And talk to us on the Facebook page. I'm sure you already have been. Got some cool merch at T Public. Oh, T Public always, always a great place for some merch. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe I'll come up with a thing concept for a T-shirt. We'll see. That'd be good. Yeah, Cody, we'll be waiting for uh, the next record from the Pedal Jets, the next record from the Philistines, and the first record from the Guillotine Choir. That's correct. Um, hopefully many of those things I, I know that um, um, Twist the Lens the new Pedal Jets record will be out um, at the end of this summer or early fall um, and uh, again we recorded that uh, we mixed that with John Aniello of Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth fame he was their producer and we went to New York and made that record we're really proud of it um, Philistines are still in the studio finishing up our next record which will be called Dysnomia and the Guillotine Choir will start releasing singles um, here in the next couple of weeks um, can we still find Backbone of Night? The first? You can still find the Backbone of Night, the first Philistines record. That's that's on Spotify. We still actually just bought um, some of our vinyl back from our distribution company, so I still have a couple of copies of our white and black swirled vinyl um, that we have for sale. Um, they can find you via the Facebook page they if they want to buy a record. That's absolutely right. S- uh, sounds great on vinyl. Philistineskc.com. We, we listen to uh, our test pressing here at your house. That's right. Um, Philistineskc.com. Uh, Philistines on Facebook. Um, Pedal Jets on Facebook. There's a Pedal Jets website too. I forget the address of it. But you can find all of those things on uh, on Facebook. And uh, you can find me, Cody Wyoming, as well on there. Um, I, do, I do a lot of music and show business stuff. All right, so uh, we'll see you later in the summer. All right, bye.